0: Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And we're going to conclude a series in Jonah. And if you don't know where Jonah is because you've not been around the Bible much, it's just after Obadiah. (laughs) More seriously, if you don't know where the book of Jonah is, if you go three-quarters of the way through the book, and you'll find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to turn left. And if you turn left, you're going to need to buzz through about seven really short chapters of passages of Scripture, books of the Bible, and you'll get to a book called Jonah. And over the past two weeks, we've discovered what a weird book Jonah is. It's just weird. I mean, it's a, it's a nuts story, isn't it? I mean, by anyone's standard, anyone's imagination, anyone's metric, it's weird. Crazy prophet guy, God says stuff. The prophet disobeys, gets into a boat, big storm, big fish, gets swallowed by a fish. Really? Ends up in the belly of a fish three days, still alive. Really? Gets spewed up on the shore, exactly where we were supposed to go in the first place, really. And then, and then he goes and and, and starts preaching and all this. So we're going to hear about that stuff. It's a really weird thing, but actually, it may, am I echoing quite a bit? Can we just no? It's just me. Sounds like me. Okay. Um, it's, and then he, we, it's a, but it's not weird at all, really, because when you begin to to think about it, actually, it's not a story about a fish. It's a story about God. It's a story about. The nature of God and what God does when people run away from him. And it's a story of how people always run. You know, you and I, at some stage in our life, are pre-kind of wired to run away from God to run away from his purposes, to run away from his wisdom, to run away from his love, to run away from his life. And then we wonder why we end up doing stupid when we put wisdom in the rearview mirror. We wonder why we can't find love when we run away from love. You know, it's the story of how we run. that's the story of what God does when we run. Who God is for runners and so turn to Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah chapter 4 and and we're going to read just a few verses but I'm going to teach on the whole lot and it's going to be huge so you're going to have to pay a lot of attention to what's going to be said tonight because I'm going to have to speak quick and uh what I want to say before we begin to read is this this is a hard teaching and I make no apologies for that it just is it's it's a hard teaching It's a hard teaching if you've hung around the Bible for a while and if you've been in church for a while, it's going to be hard. And actually, it's also an embarrassing teaching. So if you're here today for the first time, and I know some of you will be, and you've not really quite got the Jesus thing and you find some of the stuff a little bit weird, it's a bit embarrassing for us who are Christians for you to hear this stuff. Because it's going to expose stuff that's in our lives that we wish was not in our lives and we try and cover up with our lives. As we listen to the story of Jonah, what's going to happen is we're going to kind of, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, mm. And it feels a bit awkward. And, and so could you just go easy on us and, and stay with us for a bit as we go through this stuff? Jonah chapter three. And the story takes a twist. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, And proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So let's get straight into it. Chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah for the second time, and God said, go to Nineveh. First immediate thought is this. God is the God of the second chance. God is the God of the second chance. Jonah is not the hero of the story, nor is the fish. God is the hero of the story. In fact, Jonah is kind of the archetypal anti-hero. This whole book, Jonah, is kind of, I think it's kind of God's comic strip book. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's ironic. It it says some really funny and incisive things about the people of God. So we've got idol worshippers and pagans who end up worshiping God. And we've got vines and worms and sun and wind who end up being obedient to God but we got the prophet of God, the one who's supposed to worship God and be obedient to God, ending up running and drowning and whinging and getting angry. But God gives him a second chance. And that's huge. Because it means that he also gives you a second chance. And he gives me a second chance. In fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for God's second, third, fourth, and 450 second chances. God is a God who does not give up on you, and he applies the same grace to your life. Which is another way of saying it's never too late to be who you might have been. It's never too late to be who you might have been. And you may have come here tonight just to hear that. It is never too late to be who you might have been, despite what you have done in your life or what's been said over you in your life or how old you are and how many big decisions you've made that can't be taken back. It is never too late for you to be who you might have been because God is the God of the second chance. God is always wanting to work a way in your life to restore and mend and redeem and bring back and show grace, not just for you, but for people around your life because that's who he is. First thought, God is the God of the second chance. Second thought, God really loves people, (laughs) which is not a big thought. It's a huge thought. God really loves people. God isn't against people. God really loves the city. He's not against the city. He's not, you know, apathetic towards the city. He's not antagonistic towards the city. God is for the city. That's why we do missional communities. That's why we always say this is for that. It's Because God loves the city. That's why we moved and and got a building in the heart of the city and didn't move to a flat pack church on the edge of the city which said we're not really part of the city. We said we want to be for the city because we believe that God is for the city. he he loves people now the Ninevites they were savage warriors apparently the evil empire they didn't take prisoners If, if we were trying to relate that maybe it's maybe they were ISIS maybe maybe that's what Jonah thought these guys are evil. These guys do things that, 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 that should be condemned. These guys are just the wrong kind of people to hang out with. God's going to bring his judgment. Jonah, you go and warn them. And so he went to Nineveh. It was a sizable city, 120,000 people. And he wandered around saying, the end is nigh. He was probably one of those old school preachers with a sandwich board saying, turn or burn, fly or fry. He had a big black Bible and he was condemning everybody. And it was the worst sermon you have ever heard. Seriously. I mean, like I've preached some stinkers. But this was kind of a worst sermon you have ever heard. Eight words. Imagine if you were just checking out this church. You were coming around, you thought God was doing something, and you thought, I'll come to this church. They got an amazing band. And I stood up and I said something like Forty days and God is gonna take you out. Let's pray. (laughs) I'm gonna do ministry now, band are gonna come up. If you feel God speaking to your heart, just come down the front. But God is gonna take you out. You would never come back again. If you did come back again, I would definitely get the ministry team on you if you'd like that kind of thing, because that's not what God does. It's a rubbish sermon. It's never gonna work. Verse 5, the Ninevites believe God. (laughs) Incredible. How did that happen? A stranger walks around, a really weird one at that, and probably if he had been in the belly of a fish, he was dyed kind of white and smelt a bit. So you can get that they paid an interest in in Jonah but he just preached a rubbish sermon and everyone repents and puts on sackcloth and ashes and the king gets down to the dust and so do the animals this is funny verse 9 who knows God may yet repent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish but this just doesn't happen this is this is more ridiculous than the fish thing but let me bend your mind just a little bit more. What if this is just what it looks like when God's people really partner with God? What if this is just what it looks like when God's people really partner with God for the things that he wants done? Not just in their interior life, but in their exterior life. Not just, you know, God bless me, God change me, God mold me, God make me more and more holy so that I might feel more and more holy. But, but what if this is really what usually happens when God gets hold of people who are obedient to him and who say, God, take me and use me. What if when we cooperate with God's grace, miracles happen? What if that's what's supposed to happen? What if what if God is wanting heaven to touch earth, but he's waiting for a people who will say, I'm all in, I'm all obedient, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I don't care what costs. I'm just in. What if that's normal? We had this thing called 10-8 this week, and it was great. To, 10-8 was a bunch of different students from different um, churches who came together and said, we just want to bless the city of Edinburgh, so we're going we're to pray for people we're going to clean up things we're going to we're going to love communities we're going to worship together we're going to pray together and we're just going to do what God asks us to do and you know what people got healed people got saved that's normal it's kind of Acts of the apostles normal Christianity that's what's supposed to happen what if what if it's not abnormal what if it's normal and God changed his mind which is something we could skip across if we wanted to just really quickly but God changed his mind. Don't, don't miss this. This is huge. God changed his mind. Occasionally in scripture, one or two times, God changes his mind. But not very often does God change his mind. And if I came around the congregation tonight, as I might have done at the 10.30, I might have done at 9.30 and said, do you think God could change his mind? There would have been a number of opinions in the place. God can't change his mind. He's immutable. God always does what he says he would do. He, always, he never changes his... Well, no, God can change his mind. There is a state perfect storm whereby the mind of God can be changed. And you find it right here. It's, it's when the mercy of God, the character of God, the grace and compassion of God collide smack bang with something called genuine repentance. God seems to change his mind. He seems to relent. And so he says you know what? I'm not going to destroy the city. And I think Jonah is in shock. Well, let, let's just stop for a moment, an important lesson. God is a God of grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor, prejudice towards you. It's God's grace. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. That's his DNA, that's who he is, that's how he rolls. And God has made you and created you, and he's hardwired you. Every single human being that's ever been made, he's hardwired you with a God responder mechanism in your heart and life. And what he's wanting to do with his grace is to get you to respond to that responder mechanism so that you would know him, love him, serve him, and walk in cadence with him. That's what he's trying to do. And he's going to move heaven and earth so that you, he gets your attention. His favorite plan is to use people who've already responded with their God responder mechanisms you, and I so that we might begin to show the grace of God so that people would get it this is God's normal plan for this world that's why we exist that's why we're here so when God decides to impress upon you and me that you need to speak to someone about Jesus Or when God decides to impress on you and me that you need to show the love of God because of Christ or that you need to include the excluded or you need to get and reach the people around you or you need to love your neighbor or you need to whatever it is in your missional community and your first response, like my first response, is, I don't think they're ready. Or that would be a bit awkward. Or... um. They seem to have life all together, so how in the world do they need They don't need it. I'll wait for a crisis, It's is a bit weird and callous if you think about it. You know, I just, just all that kind of stuff that, that, that goes on in our heads, and God is saying, no, 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 hey, I've set this whole deal up. I can, and I want to. You are made to, and you have an opportunity to. And I am wanting to overflow the whole thing with this thing called Grace. God changed his mind. That's an incredible thing. And it's a great story. And it will be fantastic if we could end there. I could just say to you, be more boldful, be more courageous, go out and share your faith. Amen, let's do ministry. it would be a nice sermon. And you go, that was good. Unfortunately, it doesn't finish there. Turn with me to chapter four. Because what happens is so weird and so strange. In fact, if you uh, were to... To tell the story, no one would believe a word you were saying. What what happens next is so penetrating and convicting, and wonderful and terrible, that it's really embarrassing. Verse ten: When God saw, He relented, and God said, "Hey, the end is not so near." And you would think that Jonah would think this was a win-win, wouldn't you? I mean, you think that? John, I mean, he's he's involved in the greatest revival in history. Like everybody. Even the animals, like everybody, not just, that's what we're told, everybody turns to God and he's involved. You'd think this was a massive win-win, but Jonah was deeply displeased and was angry. And suddenly we see something about Jonah and we understand why he didn't want to go in the first place. Verse two, he prayed to the Lord and he said, I told you this was going to happen. That's my paraphrase. I told you this was going to happen. That's why I tried to go to Tarshish, get a connecting flight to the end of the world. Data roaming turned off. Thank you for calling. This is Jonah out of the office forever. God, you know, that's basically what he was trying to do. Jonah says, I knew you'd do this. So I'm really angry with you. And here's where we discover that Jonah didn't run from God because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He ran from God because he was afraid of what God was going to do on behalf of the Ninevites. He ran from God because he was afraid that God was going to show his grace and his mercy to people who he thought did not deserve his grace and his mercy. These were the national enemies. And then Jonah compounds all this stuff in our minds, and he becomes the villain because he has an incredible insight into the character of God. In other words, his theology is really good. See, Jonah grew up in a time where the main kind of picture of God is that he was smitey God. He was, he was big, angry, powerful God. You need to be scared of God. But Jonah had this incredible insight because he's a prophet of God about who God is. And he says here, look, you are gracious and compassionate God. He knows. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. You're a God who relents. And he said, I knew it. I knew if I came here, they would repent and you would do this. Now I'm angry. Take my life for it's better for me to die. (laughs) It's an attractive trait, isn't it? What's going on? I think what's going on is that he knows God, but he's unpracticed in God's ways he knows that God is a God of grace but he has not allowed his heart to be enlarged by the grace of God so he has no grace imagination he's not experienced grace and he's not a dealer in grace and so Jonah goes to the eastern side of the city and sits down I think he's going well let's see what you've got God Let's see what this is all about. And God produces a vine and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But verse seven, the next day God produced a worm and Jonah was not very happy about the worm because it ate the vine. And verse eight, the sun rose and the east wind blew. God had provided it apparently in his grace. And there was a sirocco and you may have heard of them, scorching temperatures and Jonah grew faint and he is angry. You might be. The word Anger is used six times in this short passage. It's a really significant diagnostic tool. Anger is a very powerful emotion. When you're angry, you might begin to ask yourself, why? Is it something internal? Is it something external? Why do I feel so angry about this thing? And I honestly have no idea why Jonah is angry, but I'm going to attempt a couple of thoughts. Firstly, I wonder if Jonah is angry. Because God is doing something so far outside of Jonah's religious parameters that Jonah can't handle it. Do you ever experience that? You get angry because God is doing something so far outside of the parameters of, of your religious boundaries that you can't label it. You don't really understand it. It doesn't fit within your frame of reference. I don't know whether you've ever experienced that, where you felt uncomfortable because God clearly was doing something and it doesn't work according to the way in which you thought God worked. And maybe it was a healing. Maybe it was someone coming to faith. Maybe it was a prophetic word. Maybe it was flags or something weird like that. Maybe, so maybe it was something that was going on and you thought maybe God was using that but it didn't fit within the parameters of the way in which you thought God worked. You just got angry. Israel was so proud of their race and their ethnicity. They were the chosen people. And God always blessed them and God always smote their enemies. Smote's a great word. God always dealt with their enemies. And now God is doing something wholly different. He's saving oppressors and Gentiles and pagans. Now the boundaries are all blurred. And who's in and who's out is really difficult to understand. And it's very messy. And it becomes very religious. Everything starts with grace. And before you know it, it ends in law. You know, I, I need to know who's in and who's out so that I know whether I'm in and whether I'm out. And it's Let me show you what happens in my heart and maybe what happens in yours. If I'm honest, I want church the way I want church. It's just a little expose. I want church the way I want church. And then God goes and messes up my church and, and exposes Uh, I want my relationship with God the way I want my relationship with God. And then God goes and messes it up by by changing parameters and bringing people into my life and and changing situations. And even those phrases, my church and my relationship with God, suck. It's not my church and it's not my relationship with God. It's his church and it's his relationship with me. And I've begun to own it and control it. And, And what I want so often is frameworks for those who are in and those who are out. We call it religion. And and I love grace, for I love it for me, because I know I need it. And I'm not sure about grace for everybody else. Just the people that I have decided, according to our framework, that they can have it. And I don't know, maybe that's what's going on for Jonah, and so he's sitting there, saying, what do you do with my vine? Maybe it's an identity thing that's going on as well. Because Jonah is just a crap prophet. I mean, he is really, isn't he? I mean, God said go somewhere and Jonah went in the opposite direction. Finally, when Jonah gets obedient, Jonah prophesies destruction and God gives grace. So (laughs) you must be thinking, you know, my whole identity is prophet of God, and I've fouled up, and God's messed me up, and it doesn't kind of work. And I compound that with the fact that he's got to go back to the northern kingdom and explain to the king that he went as an emissary, the prophet of God, to Nineveh, the arch enemy, and now they're all in the family. I mean, how does, how does, that, how does, how does that work? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what my role is anymore. I don't know where I fit anymore. I don't, I don't understand any, any, anymore. Give me the vine rather than the city. God, give me the vine rather than the city. And we, we find Jonah hard, or at least I find Jonah hard. But so often, this is my heart as well. I would rather have my comfort than the vagaries of God's grace. I'd rather have my limited role and identity than risk the largeness of the adventure of grace. And get this, even church can become a vine for me. I want it this way. I want to do this. I want to do more of this, bigger than the. You know, it just becomes a vine because it's comfortable. I and mean, even my relationship with God can be a vine for me. And God says, there's a city. 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and, and you want the vine and I've given you grace. Look at verse nine. Jonah is angry. What happens next is brilliant. God wants to put Jonah in touch with the root of his anger and the reality of God's plan for his life and drag him into the largeness of his grace. Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, I am angry enough to die. <laughs> Jonah is a teenager. Just, you just woke him up and you told him to do the washing up or something. I am angry. <laughs> He's having a patty and a strop and it's really, I told you this is funny stuff. Jonah, you've been concerned about this vine. You didn't plant it, you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow, but you got all attached to it and it's a temporary thing. Nineveh is 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand, which just means they're like children. They really don't understand things. And many cattle, which just means they're not vegans. <laughs> what a random thought. And many cattle. I didn't teach a whole thing about the restoration of all things, but all many cattle. You, you are more concerned about your own comfort for a temporary time and these people and their eternal destiny. And I'm willing to give you comfort. I'm not a bad, miserable God. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you good things. I, 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 I'm investing in your life. I want to give you everything you need. I'm not down on you having nice holidays or a nice car or a great job or good. I'm not down on that kind of stuff. But I'm also going to give you discomfort in your life because what I want to give you above anything else is grace. And if comfort is the ultimate end, it is not only poor, it is going to be disappointing. I want to give you this incredible thick gift called grace. I want to place you at the center of this thing called grace. I want you to be a recipient of this thing called my unmerited favor on your behalf, in your direction. And I want you to become a dealer in grace. Because suddenly then it doesn't become about you and your vine. It becomes about the city and the cattle and everybody else else because that's what I'm doing don't miss out on grace because you're holding on to your vine work it out guys what I want to do is to drag you into the largeness of my grace and help you understand what that looks like and how incredible it is and how you want that more than anything else even the stuff that you think is your vine look how the book ends should I not be concerned about that gray city In other words, Joni, you're you're concerned about all the wrong things. You're concerned that everybody gets what they deserve, and they get what they deserve, and you get what you deserve. You know, what I'm concerned about is grace, which means that nobody gets what they really deserve. That's what I'm concerned about. And this is where it gets really personal for me. Because if I'm honest, I'm kind of generally concerned about people and I think ultimately I'm concerned about people coming to know Jesus, people experiencing Jesus' love, people being transformed, cities being transformed. But in the details of life and in the moments of life, there's a little Jonah in me. And I can become far more concerned about the stuff that is temporary, the stuff that's about my comfort, the stuff that is about me, than the city that needs saved and transformed. Jonah is in the middle of salvation, and he's more bothered about the vine. And so are we. I mean, God's doing incredible stuff. We're in the middle of salvation and restoration and healing. It's all available because of Jesus. He carries God's grace, and he takes God's grace, and he nails it to the cross with him, and he says, now you can all play in grace. That's what this looks like. You can get forgiven, you can get healed, you can get restored and you can be on the team that brings healing and forgiveness and restoration for all things and you are concerned about the vine, the salary, the singleness, the sickness the people back home, the superficial stuff none of which is not important all those things are important, please don't hear me wrongly but they're not the 120,000 people who don't have their right hand from their left hand they're the vine and we get angry Maybe it's just me. Probably it's just me. Why I just get angry and I say, "God, why didn't you show up and do that thing?" Why is my life so frustrating? Like, and we blame God. And He says, "I'm just wanting to pour out my grace." So what I want to do. I want to pour my grace into your life. I want you to be a conduit of my grace so that it pours out to other people. And I want you to stop worrying about the vine because I'm more than capable of providing you with the vine that you need. And the sermon and the, the rant ends, the passage ends with another question. I love that, the fact that God just asks questions. He says, should I not be concerned about that great city? And he leaves the question unanswered. Why? Because it's your job and it's my job to answer that question. And it's, I think it's a comparison question. It's, it's the kind of question you get in your A-levels or whatever you do nowadays, which just makes me sound really old. Um, it's the question you get in your final year exams, you know, it's always compare and contrast. Well, it was in my day, compare and contrast. These two things, compare and contrast. It's a compare and contrast question. The vine or the city, Jonah? The vine or the city? And, And things become vines for us and we miss out on grace. And even things that we have called spiritual things as if There are things that are particularly spiritual. They become vines for us. And we miss out on grace. Do you know, as we come to the conclusion of a series in in Jonah, I think there's one verse right at the heart of Jonah, which is kind of the key verse for the whole book. And you find it in Jonah chapter 2. And um, in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is kind of at his most sane, he's in the belly of a fish. And he's come to his senses and he's started to cry out to God because he recognizes he's got nowhere to cry out to apart from to God. And he prays this beautiful prayer of grace and he says this of himself, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Don't hold on to your vines and miss out on grace. Do you know the wonderful thing in a sermon that perhaps was a bit hard is that all that is said and done in the beautiful context and background of a God of grace and mercy and woven within the story of a man who was given a second chance. So if, like me, you sit there and go, oh man, I do not measure up. I hold on to stuff and I miss out on grace. Grace. I'm so focused on the things for my comfort and I miss out on what I could be doing and leveraging for this world. Know this, that God is the God of the 572nd chance. And even at the end of the book of Jonah, he asks Jonah a question. Even even to the runner, even to the rubbish prophet, even to the one who's experienced the grace of God, even to the one who's been in the middle of revival and then just got angry like a teenager, even to the one who's more concerned about the vine covering his head than 120,000 people who need to know the grace of God, God asks another question which needs answering. Jonah, can we go again? Can we start again? Can you engage with this? Because life is more important than your vine. And grace is more important than anything. Why don't we pray? And in the quietness, just engage with the God who is here. Let me suggest one thought, and it's this: that, um, that if anything that's been said from the front today was condemnatory, then that wasn't the Holy Spirit of God. He convicts and he nudges, but he always does so with grace. But that which was of God that he's been doing in your heart as I've been speaking, you had to do some business with, and maybe there are vines that that you hold on to and prefer. maybe there's an identity that you just struggle with and are fearful of and maybe. Maybe there's a way of viewing your faith and your church and your relationship with God that's too boundaried at the moment. That you became God in that equation. He says, I want to explode your boundaries with my grace. maybe just in the, the quietness of this hour there's an opportunity for a second chance to say to God in your heart I'm, I'm, I'm going to go again tell